And you're back with Encounter with God. And Mon, I have a question for you. Oh, yeah? How do you plan to survive the end times? Oh, man, that's such a scary question. Sometimes I think I don't even want to be there. I just skip it. <laughs> just like, yeah, hit the uh, fast forward button, move yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. Next. You're going to go and you're gonna go and hide in a cave somewhere and sort of, you know, shoot everyone that comes near and <laughs> hide all the tins survival of baked stuff beans ahead of time and just survive on baked beans. <laughs> Look, as long as I don't be you try and survive opener. on baked beans, you might be easily found. <laughs> the Bible south well. Oh dear. Uh, okay, the Bible says, let's go to Matthew twenty four and verse nine. Let's uh-huh. let's start off there this morning because the Bible has a very special promise there. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 9. And before we read that out, mm. I'm going to read out another clue. Oh, the clue, the clue, mm. the, clue the clue, of course, the clue. Yeah. What number am I? Ishmael had this many sons. These are, you know, I have to say this. Mm-hmm. These have all been obscure clues. Yeah. Um, you got one more obscure clue, and then you have like a super duper obvious one. <laughs> so it goes from obscure to easy, just like that. Yeah, like I don't know what it is with this. I would have thought there would be more sort of you know intermediate um, clues with this number because it is quite a popular biblical number. But it turns out it's like obscure, obscure, obscure. Oh, and super duper easy. It's, it's like yeah, I know Ishmael had sons. Obviously, he had sons because uh, the whole Middle East is populated with the descendants of Ishmael, mm-hmm. uh, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, some some descendants of Isaac, but mostly descendants of Ishmael. So I know, but how many sons? I don't know. Who knows how many sons well, Ishmael had? Seriously, well, maybe the thing about that clue is it's actually pretty easy to Google. Just go number of sons Ishmael or Ishmael's sons. Yeah. It's an easy Google. It's an easy Google. You're telling people look. Listener, if I were you, I would totally be Googling this. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's an amazing prize coming your way if you send us the answer. Yeah, and P.S., when you call, don't worry. We never interrogate you about how you know. We know like, did you Google that? We don't ask. We just give presents, all right? So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because we don't want you to lie. <laughs> so yeah, so don't, don't worry. Just give us a call. 1-800-FAITH-FM, 1-800-324-843. If you know how many sons Ishmael had. Now, one of the things that we want to encourage is people actually doing their own research <clears throat> and studying and searching the Bibles for themselves. Exactly. And I don't care how a person studies the Bible and searches on the Bible, whether they do it online mm-hmm. um, or not, but... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's some really great websites out there with the Bible, my favorite being Bible Gateway. Yeah. That's yep. a great I use it all Bible the time. website. It's got yeah, it open same. in front of me right now. Got Oh, yeah, oh there you go. I have it, it like open every, in front of me every morning during Faith FM in someone in case someone calls up with a challenging Bible question, it'll make me sound intelligent because it'll be like, bang, there's the answer. Cuz the, the Bible Gateway website doesn't that have like every single version of the Bible ever? I don't know. No, it doesn't have every single version, but it's got most of them. Yeah, all it's the major ones. Stacks and stacks and stacks of them. Yeah, which is great because you can like you can Look, parallel it doesn't, them. Doesn't have an LSV. Yeah, <laughs> the Lyle Southwell version. <laughs> I'm looking forward to when we have that Bible made obsolete. <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay, so uh, how do we endure in the end of time? Yes. Matthew you know, we, chapter twenty-four. Yeah, which is exactly a scary place. And verse nine, the Bible says, "Then they will deliver you up to be afflicted." And shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and hate one another. And many false prophets shall arise and deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many will grow cold. And he that shall endure to the end will be saved. That's a very, that's a scary verse. Yeah, do you know what? The first, the almost all of it sounds like. Well, there's no way you're going to survive that because it literally says you're going to be killed. But then it goes, oh, and then P.S. Some of you endure to the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At first I thought it was a trick question. Why are you asking me if, if we're going to survive? It clearly sounds like we're not going to survive. 
And clearly we are. And clearly we are. Well, yeah. some of us are. Well, I don't know. If you think about any well, well, just to, to, just to, uh, to um, the, the, the Bible indicates, and this would be a long study, so I won't go into all in detail, but you sort of got two stages to the time of trouble at the end of time. Mm-hmm. You've got a little stage and then you've got a big stage. Okay. And if you're worried about dying, in other words, being a martyr, mm-hmm. that's the little stage. Okay. Yeah, that's the little one. That's the little one, the martyrdom. That's the little one. Okay, okay. Yeah. And then there comes the big one. And that's when the people survive? Interestingly, yes. Is this kind of like, like almost because like you the put big the Because the big one is the seven last plagues. Okay. And once the seven last plagues come, there's, there's no martyr, but martyrdoms in the seven last plagues. Okay, all right. I think so. Yeah, there's a bit of time of trouble in the lead up to the seven last plagues, where uh, there will be uh, people who are killed for their faith, and there's nothing new about that. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, there has never been a century, a century in the history of Christianity, where people have not been being killed for their faith. We just happen to live in the most peaceful century for Christianity. Mm-hmm. Not that it is peaceful. Uh, there are plenty of martyrdoms taking place on a regular basis, mm-hmm. but it is far more peaceful than what it used to be during the Dark Ages, uh, You know, between the end of the Roman Empire and the beginning of the Industrial Age. Uh, there were about 150 million Bible-believing people who were put to death for their faith. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Religion and politics is like the worst mix ever. Oh, ever, ever, ever. Yeah, just keep those two things far, far apart. And it's one of the things that actually has brought persecution to a much lesser level has been the modern day concept of separating religion and politics. Mm-hmm. Um, that is one of the one, one thing that has been successful. Um, not entirely successful because we're fighting wars um, <clears throat> rather than direct persecution. But um, yeah. There's a pretty heavy passage right there. I just want to ask you a quick question there. I know this mm-hmm. might be a little bit of a sidetrack. Um, but uh, when you said, you know, we should keep separate uh, politics and religion, I had a, a, an atheist friend that I was discussing this with and he was like, yeah, we need to keep them separate. And I'm like, yeah, that's something that I agree with you on. We need to keep them separate. And he was like, well, then, you know, if you agree with me, then we need to keep like prayer out of our schools. Because to him, mm-hmm. education was a government thing. Mm-hmm. And therefore, they should not teach you about God. They should not pray in schools. They should not have anything to do with God in schools. Mm. Yeah, and it's one of those things that, um, you know, even here in Australia, you've got the choice, um, and I think it should be a choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, where um, parents and students can choose whether they're going to... There's one of the things I like about the Australian system. You can choose to be part of the religion class or not, but, you know, mm-hmm. God gives us freedom of choice, and so we should give others freedom of choice. Yeah, because I don't think a government should dictate how parents raise their children. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And if you've got uh, parents out there who don't want to raise their children with a knowledge of God, they have that right. Mm-hmm. God gives them that right. That's right. Um, and so, you know, I think it's a little bit hard for, you know, no one's going to ever grow up without having any knowledge of God. Um, but parents have that right, you know, and I think it should be, I think we should offer, you know, religious studies in schools and, and that way the, the, the choice is there and is available. I think we should make the choice available. Okay, let's have a look at how we're going to survive at the end times. Do I need to read like the SAS Survival Guide, Lyle? Do I need to start doing like Bear grills, eat grubs, that kind of thing? Is this what it's going to take? Yeah, no. Oh, it's not? Oh. No, because there's no way you can hide on this planet. But I literally just bought the SAS Survival Guide off oh, Amazon. Really? Yeah, the un- unabridged version. <laughs> why, why did you buy this? Were you thinking of the end times? <laughs> I was thinking about the end of oil. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. uh, Mon, you are hilarious. 
it's actually quite a nice book. It, it comes in like a camouflage, a camo cover, camo fabric cover. That's not very practical. No, it's not. If it's an SAS survival guide, so you're surviving, so you want to be rescued, so it should be blaze orange. <laughs> yeah. Or aluminium the, raw foil reflective, so you can signal passing planes. Yeah, that's you know, a good point. But no, make it camo so that if you drop it, you lose it. Yeah, I can't barely that's even great. spot it on my library. <laughs> <laughs> it's sitting on my shelf and I can't Where see it. Where did that book go? <laughs> All right, so the answer to the question of where to hide at the end of time is very, very simple. Can mm-hmm. we read it to you? Yes. Psalms chapter 91. Mm-hmm. He that lives in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And that is the only place you can hide at the end of time. Look, Lyle, I hate to say this, but that's not very helpful because you're talking about a secret place. How are we supposed to find out where the secret place is? This is the secret place of the Most High and the shadow of the Almighty. This is, sorry, this is found in having a relationship with God. Ah, because I was going to say, if the apocalypse this is, is your happening, with God. if the apocalypse is happening, and I run out the front door, and I'm like, quick. It's Where's happening. the secret place? Where's the secret place? I need to yeah. find the shadow of the you know, Almighty. Almighty. It's like I can see a and shadow of that tree and I can see a shadow of that house, but where am I going? What am I running to? Okay, the, 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 the simple reality is that if you are connected with God, um, well, it goes on, it goes on a little bit. Let me read it, what, what it says uh, a bit, bit further down. It says, A thousand shall fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand. It will not come anywhere near you. Um, there shall no evil befall you, neither shall any plague come near your dwelling place. Only with your eyes shall you behold and see the reward of the wicked. And so the Bible is very clear. We will see the great time of trouble, but not experience it. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Now, Lyle, I want to ask you a question because um, something you said there reminded me of something. So I, I'm in the middle of a, a bit of a craft project um, where I'm drawing, sketching the life of Moses. Oh, it's okay. A, yeah, so I have a little like a little notepad and then on each page I draw a different scene from the life of Moses. Cool. It's actually a really great way to study out um, any sort of Bible topic, like a Bible character or a book or, you know, a theme or something because, um, you know, I want it to be – I want the sketches to be accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I study out, you know, each, each scene to make sure all the details are correct and it's been incredibly enlightening. What you got? Where, where are you up to? Um. I'm in the plagues. Oh, okay. I'm in the plagues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I think so I'm starting. I think I'm going to play plague six. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I did like you know his his birth and the, you know the, the the basket of reeds and the growing up in the palace. That's a really cool way of doing Bible study. It is. Um, I mean, but you have to you have to dedicate yourself to making it accurate because if you just decide to sketch the life of Moses as you remember from your childhood Bible stories, you'll often get it wrong. Because I'm discovering yeah. by studying the life of Moses, there's so many details and stuff that I didn't realize what's going on. Um, you know, and so many bits and pieces here and there that I was like, I didn't know that. I had a wrong misconception about this and, this and so forth. But as I'm doing the plagues, I'm in the plagues right now. Did you find something that you'd forgotten about? I found stuff that I'd never even heard of happening before. Mm, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Love finding that kind of thing There's, in the Bible. Yeah. Some of them are a bit grisly, which I'm a little bit into. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. we're, th- we're finding some things out about Mon now. Yeah, yeah. There's this really cr- – I'm not going to detail it in great um, detail, but there is uh, <laughs> this one incident where him and his wife, Moses and, uh, and Zipporah, they're on their way to a destination and then the angel of the Lord appears mm-hmm. before them and stops them because yes. they have forgotten or they hadn't done something that they should have done. That's right. And so his Zipporah 
Pora grabs a knife and does the deed and, and it's, it's pretty grisly, but I drew that one. That was kind of fun. But um, <laughs> look, artists out there will, will, will feel... But Mon, there are people out there that know what you're talking about. <laughs> it's in the Bible. Okay, I'm talking about the Bible. Anyway, the point that I want to make... parts of the Bible that are... R Unmentionable? Rated. <laughs> R-rated, that's true. Yeah. The, the point that I want to make was... Because um, they deal with human life and some things in human life are R-rated. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. As I'm drawing the 10 plagues, right, I am astounded to discover that when I draw them, I almost need to draw two separate pictures on the one page because in every single plague, the Lord sends the plague. The plague hits the Egyptians, but he protects the protects his children. He protects the Israelites. Mm-hmm. And so it's almost like, you know, one, the lice is upon, you know, the, the Egyptians, but in the same stage, there's no lice on the, on the, on the, um, on the Israelite children. And it's just incredible. Mm. Go on. Yeah, you know yeah, where yeah, I'm yeah, going yeah, with yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. I want you to think about this, Mon. Think about this. Yes. How many plagues on the Egyptians? Ten. How many plagues at the end of time? Seven. Seven. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. What's this? Mm-hmm. The first three plagues on Egypt actually affected the Israelites as well. So, for instance, when the river turns to blood. Yeah. That, that, that affects the Israelites as well. Mm-hmm. And so there are seven plagues that are exclusively on the Egyptians alone. And at the end of time, you only have seven. Seven. There are no plagues at the end of time that have any effect whatsoever at all on God's people. And so if you're scared, dear listener, like I I have to admit, I'm a little bit antsy about the end of times, but looking back on history and looking back at who God has been and knowing that he is the same God and seeing that he can bring about a plague on Egyptian people at the same time, completely protect the Israelites. It just absolutely just gives me hope. It makes me calm that if he could do it, then he can do it now. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And God has done it so many times down through history. You know, we can look at uh, example after example after example of where God has uh, protected his people. And, uh, you know, there's, there's, mm-hmm. there's just really been and, nothing And indeed, about. you know, it, the, the, the difference was their relationship because, you know, they look at the final plague, which was the slaying of the firstborns and uh, firstborn son in each house. And, you know, the angel of the Lord was coming through. Egypt and it was you know slaying the, the 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 kids and the the way that they prevented that was to paint the blood of a lamb on their on their arch on their door arch and it was you know a, a sign of this relationship that they had with God mm-hmm. you know which is a symbol that we should have you know we should be claiming the blood of Christ that you know he's he's died for our sins and so you know we should have that relationship with him yeah and thus by we can survive absolutely can we talk about the abomination of desolation? Yes. We can? I have no idea what it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is such a cool base. Let's go back to Matthew 24. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we've talked about uh, enough about that, but if you'd like to know about surviving the seven last plagues and the time of trouble at the end of time, go and memorize Psalms chapter 91. It will set you in good stead. Stay close uh, to Jesus. That's absolutely. The that's, the, that's the answer. That's the short answer. If you are connected to God, then you know what can touch you, what can harm you. Mm-hmm. Okay, so where we go? Matthew chapter... 24, and you have this cryptic passage right here where it says in verse 14, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations and then shall the end come. That sounds good, doesn't it? Yeah. Because God is not going to come back while there are people who are still ignorant of him and have not had the opportunity to make a decision for him or not. Imagine if God came back and uh, destroyed some people because they had not chosen God, Mm -hmm. but they'd never heard of God. Mm. That would be unfair. It's like, no, the gospel's good. Everyone gets their chance. Yeah. Gospel's going to the whole world. Everyone gets their chance. But then it goes on, and this is super cool because it relates to the book of Daniel. 
When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place. Whoever reads, let him understand. Okay, let's stop there before we go any further. There are a couple of things here that I want to point out about this verse. Mm -hmm. First of all, there are many Christians within the realm of higher criticism Mm -hmm. um, who would say that the book of Daniel wasn't written by Daniel. Oh, who they reckon it was written by? Uh, Some anonymous person during the late Greek or early Roman era. So many, many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years after the events of the time of Babylon. Okay. So my, my, my question to a Christian who might believe that is this. Mm-hmm. First of all, what evidence do you have? Because there is no internal evidence in the book of Daniel to give a late date to the authorship of it. There is no external evidence uh, in the book of Daniel to give a late date authorship to of it. My second question is, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Mm. Because Jesus Christ clearly believed in the prophet Daniel. Because he quoted the book, didn't he? He's quoting it right here. Uh-huh. Now, if Jesus believed in Daniel, it's good enough for me. If, if Jesus was happy to quote Amen. from the book of Daniel, I'm happy to quote from You know why? You know that There is one piece of evidence that they will always give to say that it was a late Greek or early Roman era authorship of the book by some unknown author. What? Because it's accurate. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, goodness. In other words, they claim that it's too accurate in its depiction of historical events to have been written before written before those events took place. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So it's a tacit admission of its accuracy uh-huh. contained in their claim that it's a forgery. They're like, it's so <clears throat> it's so good, it's so true, it must be cheating. That's yeah. what they're saying. Yeah. It fascinates me how there are <laughs> Christians out there today who claim to know more about the Bible than Jesus does. Yeah, that's uh, outrageous. It's like, yes, we know the book of Daniel was a forgery, but Jesus didn't. <clears throat> Okay, that sounds weird to me. That sounds dangerous as well. Yeah. Sounds like a dangerous uh, uh, statement to be making. All right. The abomination of desolation. Yeah, okay. There are many Christians out there that will tell you that the abomination of desolation was an event that took place when a man by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes sacrificed a pig on the altar in Jerusalem. Have you ever heard of Antiochus Epiphanes? I have heard that. Oh, you have? I've heard the phrase. I'm not really sure what it is. Yeah, because usually he's referred to as Antiochus who? Because nobody's ever heard of the guy. No, okay. All right. Yeah, but there are occasionally you'll come across people who have heard of Antiochus Epiphanes. But here on Faith FM, now you've heard of Antiochus Epiphanes. Okay, so he sacrificed a pig on the altar. Um, Of course, he was a Greek general. So he lived during the Greek era before the Roman era. And this, of course, was a, a really offensive thing to do because pigs were considered unclean. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and you only sacrificed, you know, the the usual sacrifices like lambs and doves and yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And there were lots of Jews at this time when this happened. They're like, oh, the abomination of desolation mm-hmm. has just taken place. Mm-hmm. And because the Jews said that, then Christians came along uh, a long time later, uh, most notably a Jesuit priest by the name of Louis de Alcazar, who came and said, ah, the Jews were right. We need to follow what the Jews said. Not what Jesus said, because Jesus said, no, 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 no. The abomination of desolation is still future. Oh, wow. Has it happened? And Antiochus Epiphanes lived a couple of hundred years before Jesus. So so is it still future to us, like us today, like you and me sitting here in Faith FM Studios, or has it happened? Or This is a really good question. We need to find out. Oh, darn it. It's song time. It is. You're going to have to wait until after this song to oh. have the answer as to what the abomination of desolation is all about. Spoken of by Daniel the Prophet, so in preparation for it, turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 8, verse 
13, and we will read about it right there. Um, but before we read that, what do we got? What do we got coming up? This here, is Mon? Anna Beaton with the song "Knitted," but also get your phones ready because I'm going to give you another clue for our quiz. So stay tuned and enjoy this lovely song, um, Anna Beaton. The song is called "Knitted," which is funny because I'm crocheting. So fearfully, wonderfully made Somehow you forgot along the way Knitted together by my hands Swept away by the world's demands You are so fearfully, wonderfully made Somehow you forgot along the way Knitted together by my hands Swept away by the world's demands And I have called you by name Dearest child You are mine You are precious In my eyes Honored and I Love you I close of the field, though still your life you try to 
Okay, we're back with our encounter with God. We were listening to Anna Beden knitted while Mon sits here knitting. Crocheting. crocheting. <coughs> Get it right, Lyle. Oh, come on. What's the difference? It's the same thing. Knitting is two needles. Crocheting is one hook. Can I get an amen from my sisters? <laughs> it's all knitting. <laughs> it's all like to you. knitting. It's tying knots is what it is. Yeah, it's all it's all knitting. It's all knotting. It's all knotting actually. Okay, it's all uh, knotting. <laughs> it is not. I don't know why you're so uh, you know so um, flippant about it because actually, did you know knitting was invented by men and it was a total man thing to do? Cool. Yeah, because they um they would uh, knot together their fishing fishing lines, fishing um, nets. Hey, I'd make a fishing net, and you'd be knitting. There you go. You'd be knotting. <laughs> anyway, okay. Um, our next clue for our quiz, what number am I? And we've got one more sort of obscure quiz uh, clue and then we have a really, really easy one. Okay. This is our last obscure one. James addressed his epistle to this number of tribes scattered among the nations. I would have got it off that one. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, i definitely get it off that one. It's, it's still not. It's still quite obscure. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the same number as the tribes of. Um, <laughs> 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 You're giving stuff away now, Mon. If you know the answer, give me a call one eight hundred Faith FM. It's one 800 Hey, you know what's interesting about that? When James addresses his uh, epistle to the twelve tribes, there were not twelve tribes. Oh. Do you see what I mean? Ladies <laughs> oh, and gentlemen? No, no, no. Do you see what I mean? Every time he talks about the clue, he just gives it away. <laughs> I'm going to take a photo of how he looks right now. This is what I mean, Lyle. <laughs> I'm so putting these photos. Uh, after all the hard time that I've been getting for the last week and I just did it again. Lyle, just this morning when I paid yeah. you out, I thought I thought to myself, do you know what? I'm not going to pay out Lyle anymore about this because I've been doing it for long enough. And then you go and do that. And I was thinking, I was thinking to myself, she's going to get over this soon because it only happens on the rarest of occasions. <laughs> Unbelievable. Okay, well, changing the subject. What are we going to do now about our quiz? Daniel chapter... What are we going to do now? Okay, hey? What are we going to do now? Do you know what? Let's just do a giveaway. Give us a call. No, no, no. Well, the first person <laughs> that calls through with the answer still gets it. It's just got to be quick now. <laughs> yeah, now it's just a, now it's just a game of speed. It's a speed dial. 1-800 Faith well, it's the same. It's the same with our free offer at the end. That's always a speed dial. We're going to do so. two free offers today then. <laughs> Daniel 8 verse 13. Then I heard one saint speaking down to another saint, said unto that certain saint which spoke, how long shall be the vision concerning the daily sacrifice and the transgression or the abomination of desolation to give both a sanctuary and the host to be trodden underfoot. Cryptic words. How long was it? Was it 12? And he said unto me, under 2,300 days, <laughs> then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. And I am ignoring Monica. <laughs> okay, so uh, back to our subject of the abomination of desolation. We have five minutes in which to cover this thing as Monica has used up all this time. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. Out. And with good reason, as you could hear. Oh, it's a third time. It's a serious subject. Okay, okay, okay. Serious faces, serious faces. Okay. Please, you're just trying to get us to move on from the fact that you spoiled the quiz. But go on. Go on then, Lyle. All right. Um, <coughs> Abomination of the desolation. Here's what we got to remember. So remember from yesterday where we studied in Matthew 24 that Jesus answers two questions at once. Do you remember what those <coughs> two questions were? Nope. Okay, the first question was, when shall the temple be destroyed? Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. And the second question was? Um, when shall the temple be destroyed? And What will be the sign? Oh, yeah, what will the sign of your appearing? Yes, right. Mm-hmm. So Jesus is answering both these questions at once. Okay. And everything in the first 20-odd verses of Matthew 24 applies to both events, both the second coming 
and the um, both, both the second coming and the uh, return of Christ. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so what we have to do is to look at what happened. So, so not the, the destruction of Jerusalem and the return of Christ. So yeah. what we have to do is look at what happened at the destruction of Jerusalem, mm-hmm. so that we can then understand what's going to happen at the time of the return of Christ. Okay. So here's our sign. When, uh-huh. you th- when you see the abomination of desolation stand in the holy place, right? Yep. Goes on. Let those which are in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field come back to take his clothes. But basically, run for your life. Run for your life. Don't stop for nothing. Yeah. Okay. Don't stop it. for nothing. Just leave. Mm-hmm. So the question that then arises is this. What is the holy place? And when did the abomination of desolation stand in the holy place at the time of the destruction of Jerusalem? Now, clearly, if this is referring to the holy place of the temple, that was the very last part of Jerusalem to be conquered. Mm -hmm. That was what the Jews defended the most vehemently Mm -hmm. as the Romans were taking the city. Because it was most important. And so by the time the abomination of desolation, in other words, the Romans, with their gods, were standing in the holy place of the sanctuary, mm-hmm. it was long too late. Yeah. You'd dead if you'd have been hanging around that long. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In fact, the city had been laid siege to for a very, very long period of time previous to that, and you would not have been able to get out, even if you had tried. You were, you were imprisoned. You were imprisoned within the city for you know, months and months and months and months and months and months mm-hmm. in, in the lead up to this particular event. And so clearly the Bible is not referring to the holy place of the sanctuary. Okay. So what can we be talking about? There was another holy place. Another holy place? There was another holy place. And this was established by Nehemiah, and this was the holy place that was around the city. Okay. So Nehemiah did a great reformation. Uh, he found that the Jews had gone into apostasy after they had come back from Babylon and that they were doing their general business on the Sabbath. And so on the Sabbath day, he's like, no, we're not going to do this. We're going to have the Sabbath day as a day of worship. We're not going to do business on the Sabbath, uh, which is why I choose not to do business on the Sabbath today. Mm-hmm. You know, the example set by Nehemiah there. And so on the Sabbath day, he closed the city gates. Oh, wow. Yeah. Good on him. Because it wasn't so much the Jews that were um, selling stuff. They were just buying stuff from the Phoenicians who were traders and who would come in and, you know, Saturday was their day of business and, you know, they did a roaring trade that day, so they'd come in and sell their stuff and the Jews would go there and buy it. Mm-hmm. So that's why I choose not to buy stuff on the Sabbath. I think it's a great thing to have a day set aside where you don't have to worry about any of that kind of stuff and just worship God. Amen. Um, and so what happened then was that the Phoenicians rocked up and the gates are closed so they can't sell their stuff, so they set their stalls up just outside the city gates. Now, there were small gates called the Eye of the Needle that you could, you know, pass in and out of the city from. And so he found that the Jews were still sort of, you know, some of them would still head out and, and, and do their trade, just do it outside of the city. Mm-hmm. So then he's like, yeah, okay, we can solve this. And he created a two-mile exclusion zone where no business could be transacted uh, within two miles of the city walls and called it the holy place. Okay. And here's what happened at the time of the destruction of Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. The Romans came and they stood in the holy place. In other words... They were within that two-mile exclusion zone called the holy place by Nehemiah that was around the city. The Christians saw them there. They saw the pagan gods that the Romans had brought and set up in that holy place. They recognized that this was a sign that Jesus had given. They waited. The Romans withdrew. All the Christians escaped. The Romans came back and destroyed the city. 
Okay. There wasn't a single solitary Christian who lost their life in the destruction of Jerusalem because of the sign that Jesus gave right here. Oh, I see. So here's the clue for the end of time. When you see, because what you had then was paganism, Mm -hmm. standing in the place of the worship of God in relationship to the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. When you see paganism standing in the place of the Sabbath at the end of time, then you know it's time to flee. This is a reference to the mark of the beast. And we've got 20 seconds ah, left. Yes, I know. (laughs) We're out of time. So if you want to know more about it, you're going to have to tune in tomorrow because these are such exciting. I told you Matthew 24 was awesome, didn't I? I can't wait to know more about the mark of the beast. But stay right there. This is Audrey Asar with You Speak. And I guess tomorrow we'll have to continue our study. Are we going to find out about the mark of the beast tomorrow? Uh, You'll have to wait and see. There's a surprise for tomorrow. Um, But, of course, if you've got a question of the day, give us a call and we will answer it in just a moment. You liberate me from my own noise and my own chaos, from the chains of a lesser love. You set me free. You.
Welcome back. We have question of the day coming up now. And Mon, what's our question of the day today? The question is, um, and this relates to the interview, the live interview we had today with uh, Joel there, Joel Ridgewell. Ridgeway. Ridgeway, my bad. Um, what does Jesus say about his origins? Okay, that's a very good question. So what claims did Jesus make about his origins? Mm. You know, there's a very interesting passage where Jesus you know, was talking with the Pharisees and um, indicates clearly to the Pharisees that the, that, that, you know, the Messiah was to be much more than just a human being. Um, and so this um, <coughs> passage, Jesus says, While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, what do you think about the Christ? In other words, the Messiah, the Saviour. What do you think about him? Mm-hmm. Whose son is he? In other words, who does he descend from? Of the son of David, they replied. He said to them, How is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? Okay, so do you call your son Lord? Mm-hmm. You know, in the, in the context of uh, you know, biblical times, would you, would you refer to somebody who was your descendant as being Lord? No. No, because the ancestor is always greater than the descendant. Mm -hmm. And so if the Christ is going to come and he's going to be several generations from David, then that means that David is greater than the Christ. Mm-hmm. And just as Abraham is greater than David, this was the, you got to understand the, the mindset of how the Jewish people looked at um, descendants and ancestors. Mm-hmm. And so then um, Jesus quotes from the book of Psalms. And he says, David speaking by the Spirit. So he very clearly points out that the Psalms were inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is, this is God speaking in mm-hmm. the Psalms. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit on my right hand until I put your enemies at your feet. If David then calls him Lord, how can he be his son? Jesus asked the Pharisees this question. Uh, no one could say a word in reply. And from that one, and from that day, no one dared to ask him any more questions. I, I love the way that Jesus, you know, put them to silence on this particular one because, you know, Jesus had very, very clearly claimed to be God. Yeah. The Pharisees were very, very disturbed by this and they wanted to, I'll read this in just a moment, they wanted to kill him because of it. Mm -hmm. And they saw the Christ or the Messiah as being a human being, you know, who would, you know, throw off the the, the Romans, get rid of the Romans Mm -hmm. and create the Mm -hmm. great Israelite empire. Mm -hmm. Whereas Jesus very clearly points out, no, he's not a human being. If David calls him Lord, then he is greater than King David even though he is is a descendant of King David, therefore he is not just a human being, he is a divine being. Okay, so if we go over to the Gospel of John, we have this interesting conversation. John chapter 8 is all about uh, the Pharisees asking Jesus who he is, and they're a little bit slow and they're not quite kind of getting it. And so down towards the end of the chapter, in verse 56, the Bible says, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You're not yet 50 years old. Have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. And when Jesus said, I am, he used the tetragrammaton. He used the name of God. He used the name of the great self-existent God, the ruler and creator of the universe, the one who has never not existed, the one who is just, I am. They knew exactly what I was talking about. They tried to stone him for it. We'll be back in just a moment right up. Hi, my name is Mom. 
Welcome back, everybody. Um, you've been listening to Carly Fletcher with Knocking here on Faith FM, and we are going to give something away, which is super exciting. This is Kenneth Cox. You know, when I was a teenager, mm-hmm. Kenneth Cox was like the biggest thing ever. Oh, really? Yeah, he put out a series of videos. Oh, yes, Kenneth Cox. Yeah, Kenneth yeah. Cox videos. They are legendary. Yeah, VHS. I remember seeing those in church. Yep, and uh, of course... You know, it was just about every church in the country had one. It, you weren't hardly even a Christian unless you had one of these <laughs> series, you know, either his Revelation series or his Prophecy series sitting on your shelf and uh, just enormously popular. And I remember when I was a kid um, and Kenneth Cox came to Big Camp, which was actually really Ooh. small in Tasmania, mm-hmm. and we were so excited. Jack you have imagine. no idea. <laughs> and this was what was really cool was he came and did a sermon in the kids tent oh really yeah so we had this big time you know american tv evangelist evangelist, Uh and 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 he is there preaching in the kids tent and we were just you know all the kids were just sitting up the front it was the only time i've ever seen all the kids sit at the front just with our mouths hanging open just completely (laughs) gobsmacked and starstruck out of our minds by you know having such a great celebrity preacher um, preaching up the front, but I think he's still alive and still going. Yeah, well, it says on the back of this book that he is now uh, living in California with his family and seven grandchildren. But this is a book. It's written by Kenneth Cox. It's called The Four Winds of he has Revelation. has the best Texas accent, this mm-hmm. guy. He oh, should, does he? Yeah, you should Google him. Okay. Four Winds of Revelation. The back of the book says, you can't turn on your TV or open your internet browser without the next catastrophe. Catastro- Catastrophic, the word is. Uh, hitting you in the face. <laughs> the toll taken. Catastrophe. 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 Thank you. Hitting you in the face. The toll taken by natural disasters, flooding, fires, drought, tornadoes, and more grows worse every year. The world is coming apart at the seams. More than 2,000 years ago, the Bible predicted that all this would happen. Since the Bible was right about this, then what did it say would happen next? In the Four Winds of Revelation, Pastor Kenneth. Kenneth Cox examines what the Bible says about the crisis that we are facing and shares what it tells us about the future. Should we be afraid? The Bible offers hope. Jesus is coming soon. If you would like to get a copy of this book, just be the first person to call me now, 1-800-FAITH-FM. It's 1-800-324-843. Text me 491 You can even message me on Facebook if it's easier. Faith FM Australia, let me know you want the copy of The Four Winds of Revelation. Yeah, fantastic book right there. And don't forget, if you would like to know more about the Bible, then give us a call. We would love to connect you with Bible study in some way, whether it is one-on-one, small group, uh, correspondence, or online. There are ways that we can study the Bible with you. We'll be right back tomorrow morning after the 7 o'clock news. You have a blessed day, and here is some more great music and more great programming. Take care.
my God When I in awesome wonder Consider all the worlds thy hands have made I see the stars Savior God to thee 